You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rollins. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome back to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor at Christ Community Church, and I'm joined, as always, by Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, Don Wilson, the founding pastor of CCV in the Phoenix area, Scott Rawlings, founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, Ken Ottoman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and former lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church in Indiana. Well, folks, let's talk about something that I think especially, maybe all pastors need to hear, but especially young pastors. We've got a lot of young pastors who listen to this, some who are in church plants, some are in in new churches, which is work-life balance. What I've seen are two equal and opposite errors among young pastors, and maybe this is all pastors, you tell me, because you gentlemen spend a lot of time with them. One is they're so obsessed with growing the church that they almost feel like their family is an annoyance, or they treat them that way. Or you have on the other end, pastors who seem to think they're working because they're updating their Instagram account and their Facebook page and not doing anything else. What have you learned as pastors and also mentoring pastors and so forth? Bob, what about you? Well, I think there's a challenge for every preacher because we don't punch a time clock and our job is never done. And so many times we go home and we realize there's so much left to be done. I, I think there are two things. One is a sense of priorities, that you know what you're about yeah. and you know what's most important and you know where your gifts lie. And you say, this is what I'm going to give attention to first. This is what I'm going to give attention to secondarily. And then after that, I'm going to have to say no to some things. I'm not going to get some things done. But I know what my priorities are every week. The second is the importance of shifting gears. Wherever you are, be all there. When it's time to work, you you got your focus and, and, and you're working. You're writing that sermon or you're calling in the hospital or you're meeting with staff people and you're, you're giving full attention to what you're doing. But to be able to shift gears at the end of the day, not to bring work home, to give attention to family is really important. I think we can learn to do that. We can compartment. Men are especially good at compartmentalizing mm-hmm. our lives and we have to learn to shift gears. Ben Merrill he said every place he ever lived, he pounded a nail in the door between the garage in the house. He said people thought that was to hang a hat. He said that's where I symbolically hung all the junk that happened during the course of the the day and to to give attention to my family on the way in. I I didn't do that well at first, but after a few years, I I learned to shift gears. And I think if you know your priorities and then when the day's over, you say, that's the best I can do today, Lord. I'm I'm going home and, and, and enjoy the evening. Don't you think that's common, though, Bob, for it's hard to learn for, especially a young pastor, because especially or they've just assumed a senior leadership pastor or leadership position. I used to work for a uh, licensed professional counselor when I was in seminary, and his sole focus were ministers, dealing with ministers. It was either the elder saying, this guy doesn't do anything, or the wife saying, he's doing everything 
finding that balance. How did you learn it? Did you learn it the hard way? or I learned it the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means my wife talked to me. But, but I think we do pretty well at shifting gears when we go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, man, I'm going to leave the church behind in a few days and we're doing well. I think we can learn to do that hour by hour. And you cannot let what's going on in the church dictate your mood at home. It's going to mm-hmm. to a degree. But if you have to have everything right at church before you're going to be happy at home, you got a long wait ahead of you <laughs> because n- nothing is ever 100% right. I always say 95% of Southeast Christian Church was great, 4% was not so hot, and 1% was nasty. Yeah. And 50% of my time was focused on trying to correct the 5%. And if I'm not careful, I bring that home and it affects my mood with my kids, with my wife, everything else. And I think we have to learn to shift gears. And the way we learn to do that is to practice it, act like we wish we felt, and eventually we feel like we act. Mm-hmm. Well, those percentages are. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think I was probably the, the exception in that. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't do a lot of things well, but one thing I would hear my staff say, "Man, I'm glad I live 20 minutes from the church because it takes me that long to." deep program before I walk in the front door. Right. I can literally say 10 steps after I'm out of the office at the church, I was disconnected. Wilson is basically saying, I don't care. (laughs) No, uh, no, because Uh, I, uh, again, I have another thing that how I was raised. I don't need everybody's approval. I need, I need the Lord's approval. And that's, and that's, that's, we're going to talk about that probably in another session, but that is probably the only thing that I probably did well. And then I found that when I was traveling, when I would even go to Israel or visit a missionary, whatever it was, when I was on the plane, I could read more books than any time in my life mm-hmm. but when I got in the plane to come home immediately I triggered I'm, I'm on and, and so I did that well I think the problem with work-life balance uh, I was talking to a young man strong Christian that started a mental health practice and he's talking about the number of preachers that are coming in there now and he said the number one problem they're facing is the telephone the cell phone Amen. Yep. they they don't know how to disconnect and so even though they might think they're working hard they are never disconnected and so if if they can't turn that off even if they're on their study break or a sabbatical as long as you take their phone with them and leave it on they're still they're, exa- they're at work they're exhausted That's a great point. and yeah. and so uh, he said that is what the, the cell phone he believe has really changed everything is uh, it be- a sin to turn it off well, and another thing, it brings anxiety because you see what everybody else is doing. We talk about fake news. It's fake life. Nobody takes a picture of the food that they've got the restaurant that was terrible or, or the bad things happen. It's always everybody else is doing great stuff, and you're, you're just got a, a bad life. And so I think Jesus worked at three miles per hour, and he walked almost everywhere. Right. When I moved to the to the big city, it really changed. But if I look back to how I was raised on the farm life, we worked at three miles an hour, you know, and you, we worked harder, but the stress wasn't as much. And I think so this work-life balance, it's not taking more time off. It is basically figuring out how do you slow down or how do you turn it off so that you can recoup. Uh, Jesus many times said what? He got away from the crowds and spent time with his heavenly father. And so that's probably going to be one of the major secrets for work-life balance. How do we turn it off? And then do we then spend time with 
with the Lord, so we're recharged to, to get back in the game. It's become a, a serious issue. I remember Tom Rainier when he was head of the uh, Billy Graham Center here in, in Louisville before he became the CEO of Lifeway. I was listening to him speak one time, and he surveying all these pastors and churches, and he said, basically, he picked up the iPhone and in front of a bunch of pastors, and he said, this is now, for better or worse, the pastor's office. This is it, the phone. 99% of the people at the church who want to get a hold of me, they do so via Facebook or text or whatever. Very few call, very few drop by the house or the church building. They just text and Facebook and so forth. And you do kind of feel like you're on all the time. You're working 24-7. And I've had church members. I was telling this out in the hallway before we started recording. I was in traveling through Chicago, and I was going through the easy pass things, toll things on, on the highway. And I saw that there was something popped up on my phone. I looked down at it just for a second. It was a question from a church member. I go down, I'm getting ready to pull off an exit ramp. I look down, there's another one. And she'd asked me a question. And then when I didn't respond in five minutes, she went, well, never mind then. She was angry. Mm. And we now live in a culture where it's, you know, they expect this immediate response. Yeah, but, but you're right. But, uh, you know, I work with pastors in, in my new ministry all the time. Mm -hmm. And right now, you cannot reach pastors. Surveys are saying that even though we think we're connected all the time, mm -hmm. we're, we're more disconnected than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. That's why the fellowship is the new, what the, ch the church of the future is the whole fellowship yeah. thing. But that phone, I'm amazed of how many preachers I will call and they will say, I'm in, text me immediately. I'm in a meeting. I'll call you when I get out. Right. Well, you weren't you weren't even connected in the meeting. You're you're trying to do two things at once. My right. grandkids, I said, if you want money, pick up the phone, you know, be, because if I text them, they'll always communicate. If I call them, they'll rarely pick yeah, up. Younger and people call. hardly ever talk on the phone, period. But they're still connected all the time yeah. because they're looking at the text. And right. so that's the whole thing. That's a whole that I'm going to throw a curveball. As long as I was at CCV, I said, as long as I'm here, there will always be a live body to answer the phone. You would be amazed how many churches that we call on a consistent basis and we get a recording to get this recording to get to this person to get to this right. person. And if I was a member of a church, I'd go somewhere else because yeah. if I had a need, I'm not sure. I'd probably die before I could get a, get a hold of yeah. somebody to help me. And that's becoming the norm. I've read several articles where a lot of new church plants with new church buildings, they don't even have offices. There's not a place for a phone. Or someone to sit, I mean, it's just, you walk in, there's where you greet, there are bathrooms, there's the auditorium, that's it. There's there's nothing, there's no offices, there's nothing because everybody's just on Zoom or on their phone or whatever. So it's, it's a changing land, landscape, but I do think it, it is odd. One of the things I've noticed is that if you go to a comedy club, and I've only been to one in the last 10 years, but when you go to a comedy club these days, they ask you for your phone before you walk in. And one is the comedian doesn't want to be filmed. And they don't want their act to be put on YouTube because they want more people to come pay tickets. Why? But they did a study and they showed how many people were actually stressed and felt anxiety because they were without, they were without their phone for an hour and a half. Okay, let's go back to the church. Yeah. I used to use paper outlines because I was old school. And now they say uh, the sermon outline is on your phone. 
sit next to people at church and watch how much they, while you think they're listening to you, yeah. they're also sc- screening through their phone and doing everything right. else during your sermon because you've made it easier for them to do that. In fact, studies have shown that writing something down on a piece of paper, you have much greater recall than even filling it in on a phone. So we are reaping what we sow in some of that, but I'll go still back to the phone, uh, what this professional counselor said. He said, people are not disconnecting at all. They, yep. their, their phone's on at night all the time, and because of that, they are stressed out. There's no, there is no balance because they're constantly on uh, and, and available. Yeah. And and Don, I would like to get your phone number before you leave town today. You said told, you tell your grandkids if they want money to call you. <laughs> Just plug in your number. <laughs> but the Sabbath principle is really one that I'm not sure we have right when we start out. I right. I think when you're a young pastor, you really uh, the romance of being called to serve God and people is big, and you can devote too much time and energy to it, and very easily neglect your family. So there's there's a sense in which you're you have a strong sense of priority and a strong conscience about Sabbath, and even having a Sabbath hour in a day, yeah. a Sabbath day in a week. A Sabbath that's vacations, and not the way I took vacations for a long time, which was I combined a, a preaching assignment. I was going somewhere for a back in the day right. revival meetings, and I'd take the wife and kids with me. That wasn't a lot of fun for them, but I considered it vacation time. It wasn't a vacation. I awakened one day to to the reality of that, and never missed a track meet, never missed a ball game, never missed a concert, never, I can remember when my younger daughter became a cheerleader, how hard it was. It was easy for me to go to the basketball games and the football games, and but it was really hard to go and watch the cheerleading. But you do it because uh, that's high priority. You get one swing at standing with your kids and having that strong sense of family priority and having a conscience about a Sabbath is important. We've all encountered situations in our church where someone could really benefit from support and talking with a therapist. Thankfully, God has provided individuals who are specifically trained to be therapists. And I am genuinely excited to share a fantastic option with you today from BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's episode. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible, which is so crucial because finding a therapist can be quite challenging, especially when you're limited to local options. But with BetterHelp, everything becomes easier because it's an online platform. By answering a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist in just a few days. Signing up and getting matched with a therapist is a breeze. Simply follow the link in the description, betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media. Not only does clicking this link support our channel, but it also gets you a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp. It's a win-win. You know, finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. Sometimes it takes a bit to find the perfect fit. But with better help, if you don't quite click with your initial therapist, no worries. You can easily switch to a different one for free without worrying about insurance or network restrictions. As Christians, we sometimes don't think of therapy as an option. 
but it's essential to recognize that there are people available to help us through difficult times. So I want to encourage you to consider this valuable option. Whether you need someone to talk to about everyday struggles, depression, anxiety, or any other challenges, if you or someone you know is struggling, I strongly recommend exploring online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media to get started. Once again, thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. Let's all take a step towards better mental health and support one another on this journey. You're not alone, and there is help available. Better help. Well, I think to piggyback on what Don and I were talking about, that I think that does include, and I've had to learn this, I learned a few years back that the only time I didn't have my phone in my hand was when I was watching a game, which I enjoyed, just watching basketball or football or something like that. Other than that, even my wife's talking to me, so I've got that phone there. And I, I do think we do need to disconnect the phone. I do think we need to go back and just focus when we get home. Our wives are speaking to us. Our kids are speaking to us. I think that's one of the reasons we have such a screwed-up generations, not to insult anybody, but because, unfortunately, over the last 40, 50 years, we've seen, especially with baby boomers on, but probably through all of it, a narcissism where it's all about me, even if you have kids. So I think you're right. I mean, that commitment to go to, for me, I was having to go to take my son to karate class twice a week, you know, and to do that, sit, watch him pound a bag for an hour. But, you know, it was, he remembers that and it was well worth it. Dad, you have something you wanted to say? Uh, nothing probably worthwhile, but I, <laughs> when I was in Bible college, we actually had teachers who told us that our job was to spend ourselves, energy, everything we got for the ministry. I mean, we were actually programmed by, so I remember Mr. Cunningham in particular, he said, if you can do anything else, do it, because you, you're not called to preach. And then you extrapolate that out with others who did the same thing, and, and there was a guilt trip that we entered into the thing. And I can remember when my first wife cornered me, your mother, she said, I expect you to put God first in your life, but you better straighten up and make me number two. Right. And I mean, there was fire in her eye and there's the devil to be paid if I didn't heave to it. I think, Bob, you you smelled the same rose somewhere <laughs> on what you talked earlier because she was absolutely uh, throwing down the gauntlet. And, and uh, you look back and you know that she was right. But at the time, you wanted to say, hey, look, lady, this is what I'm called to do, blah, 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 blah. It's a real problem. We have family dinners. We Everybody puts their cell phone in the middle of the table. Good. And if you get yours out, you pay ah, you, for everybody. Yeah. The f cell phones don't move. Right. And that's the only way you can protect meaningful conversation and deeper communion in the context of family. And that's where a lot of replenishing comes from. I mean, and, and so if that's lame, that's uh, keeping you from work-life balance. If you're distracted when you are together and you're, you're, you know, you're isolated, even though you're connection with each other physically, right. you're well, defeating your purpose. Well, my question is, how can you study and stay focused with the silly phone ringing? I turn mine off and tell the secretary, don't bother me for a while. Unless somebody's sick, down or dead, don't bother well, me. Well, I talk to guys about preparing for preaching. I say, well, what you guys do, you put your phone right there, and it's not ringing. 
but every time it lights up with a text message, you, you're distracted, and you say, oh, I can answer that in a second, and you answer it, and then you get back to studying the Bible. Then they reply, and then you got to reply. And you have that happen five or six times during the course of a morning. You're not really focused. You know, James Earl Massey said to his congregation, you give me time to spend alone with my God and my Bible, I'll guarantee you won't go home hungry or embarrassed. But not many guys can spend time alone with the Lord and their Bible in sermon preparation because of the very thing we're talking about, the, the distraction of the text messages. That Boy, Bob, that point is so good because I think solitude is one of the most undervalued spiritual disciplines and how important it is to, to be alone with, with God. And for your own soul, and and for substantive preparation yeah, to I, preach. I, I hear guys talk about well, you got your devotional time, then you got your sermon preparation time. I gotta say, some of my best times with God, when I'm in there studying that scripture for three or four hours and reading commentaries and trying to think about how, how this is going to apply. But if you're distracted, that's what I'm saying. If you're working, work. You be all there, and and don't be distracted. And Don's point about the phone was right on target. Amen to that. That's the reason I have a flip phone, and that, that's what God blesses anyway. <laughs> well, one of the biggest adjustments for me was, uh, you know, being raised in, on the farm milking cows all the time. You talk about work-life balance. We had no work-life balance. I mean, we worked five in the morning, five at night milking cows. But you're talking about the Sabbath. There was so many times on the farm life when you were walking by yourself, dreaming, working, uh, spending time with God, but we were still working. And so I realized when I came to the big city, I've got to intentionally figure out how I'm going to spend time with my son specifically because I realized that I spent time with my dad four hours every day and didn't realize it because we milk cows side by side. And so I said, if I'm going to mentor my son or my kids, I've got to intentionally invest time in them. And that's why when they're younger, I coach their sports teams because it's forced me three days a week to spend two hours with my son. And so again, I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't grow up in the time of the cell phone. I will be honest now, I'm on the phone too much because I crave information of what's going on. I have an app called the Smart News where Mm -hmm. I get stuff from all sources. And if I'm not careful, I can watch that nonstop, read that nonstop for two hours. And so I'm finding now I'm going to have to put new parameters as I'm older because I can still be just as guilty as anybody else. My wife and I can be in the same house, but I'm, we're not connecting at all because I'm doing this and she's doing that. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that all the technology moguls, the billionaires, they did not allow their kids to have cell phones mm. growing up because they knew the danger of, of that. I'll say one other thing there. I, I think knowing your own body chemistry is important. I feel great six o'clock in the morning mm. and I can get more done between six o'clock or seven o'clock and nine or 10 o'clock than I can sometimes the rest of the day. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I hit a brick wall. I, I fought that for years. It had very little to do with how much sleep I got the night before. I just always hit a brick wall. So the last 20 years of my ministry, I scheduled a nap. Amen. I, I took a nap every day, and I would say to the secretary, hold my calls. And I, I, a 20-minute nap, 30-minute nap, and I'm feeling good for the final two or three hours of the day, and I can go out and do some things. And I come home more refreshed. And I, I would get teased about it from staff. 
but that was knowing my own body chemistry. You hit the ball but further, too, after a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's never been the case anyway, Don. <laughs> uh, but you've got to think that this is, we talk a lot. Every It seems like every pastoral conference I've ever been to, there is a discussion about the growing number of ministry leaders, not just moral failure, but just flat-out divorce. And when I look at those studies and talk to the licensed professional counselor that I work for, we felt staff pastors, this was a big issue. This is not just, okay, this is a duty. This is something that could ruin your life if you don't do this correctly. If you, if you are bringing stuff home, you know, I would really encourage pastors, young pastors out there with growing churches, especially watch when you get home your ego. I learned this from the late, great Dr. Charles Seibert, who went to be with the Lord 10 years ago. He said, when I asked him one time, and he had macular degeneration, so I used to have to drive him around all over West Texas. And I asked him, so what's your biggest, as a counselor, when you're dealing with pastors, who's your biggest problem? When you sit down with this person, you know, ah, I got work. He said, a megachurch pastor or a pastor of a growing church, a quickly growing church, because they come home, and the first time they've heard no all day is from their wife, and they lose it. They just lose it. Their ego gets in the way. They get impatient. Talk about that if, if you can, because you guys have all led large and growing organizations and stuff like that. How do you deal with you come home and suddenly this is not a staff member that you can take to the woodshed. This that is guy did wife. not have my elders. I was familiar <laughs> with no because of, of elder accountability. <laughs> yeah. That was that would probably be a problem in my marriage because I'm energized by people, so I'm going strong. Uh, but I don't want to walk in the in the front door at 5:30, and my wife has a project for me, mm-hmm. and that's where we would get in trouble because she'd say, "Hey, I need you to do this," and I don't want to do that right now. Uh, we, we probably had to work through that. Yeah. Yeah. I could turn the church off, but now I want to relax a little bit. But I've been gone all day. She hasn't talked to people. So now she wants to engage with me. Right. So I tried the out, which didn't work. I'd say, we'll talk later. And she knew that I was trying to get out of it. So the only way we solved that, I had to agree at a time we would talk later. Like, okay, at nine o'clock, we'll talk. And that meant whether Monday night football was on or anything, I knew nine o'clock we're going to talk we had to put some parameters together or or that would be something i would try to avoid because i'd already been talked out for the day so we had to put some parameters together i think the the work-life balance so i want to i want to come back again to i remember when we started our residency we interviewed 250 people in person to get 25 and literally two months into the residency, uh, the person of the residency Don, said, Don, we got five of these 25 that are in full-time ca- in counseling. And I go, what do you mean? Didn't we, <laughs> didn't we interview right. correctly? I said, what, what's the deal? He said, they're addicted to porn. So I brought the Bible College academic deans into Phoenix, and I go, what's going on? And they said, Don, probably what's different today is that you maybe were raised in a more stable family, but many of these kids have been raised in divorce. They've been grown with addiction in their home and that sort of thing. And so it's taking us two years to get them healthy before we can prepare them for ministry. Uh, So that's interesting. Your curriculum hadn't changed. (laughs) But uh, so my point is, I think a lot of the young generation of pastors have been raised in broken homes, in addiction, and that sort of thing. And what the counselor is telling me, if they don't get healthy, 
we can guilt them into turn your life over to Jesus and everything, but right. still, when the pressure then does come on work-life balance, they come apart because they haven't dealt with the issues growing up of an absent father or seeing their, their parents fight and not right. communicate effectively. So I think there are some things that the younger generation probably is struggling there that uh, because of the unhealthiness in what they grew up in, and therefore it's harder to manage their work-life balance. Well, that's related to the marriage issue. And I happen to know every one of you guys, and I know what kind of marriages you have. Your wives are full ministry partners in every case, and they have their own sense of calling that dovetails with your sense of calling. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But it's, it's easy to take advantage of an understanding wife and not meet her needs. And related to what you just said, Don, the healthy, happy marriages is going to produce the, the kind of future leaders that we want. Now, can somebody that's come from a tough background do well? Yes. But I think it's the exception, not the rule. I think the, the rule is that the dynamic Christian leaders are often second-generation leaders that have been spun off by parents that have really had great marriages and a great home life. I've told your mother she's the luckiest woman in Southern Ohio. I've told her that for 64 years, and I think in the last year she's actually believing it. It took that long. Don't give up, guys. Hang in there. It'll be all right. Uh, there, there is one thing that may, maybe I would address, and that is, yes, my wife was my partner in ministry. Never paid, but she worked all the time. It's a little different today when you have a pastor's wife that is very successful either in ministry and then they can't turn it off when they both come home right. to talk about the church, uh, or she's got a successful career outside the home. That is harder to maintain work-life balance because she's not there for you to kind of unload. She's got just so much stress in her career right. as maybe you do. That's harder to work through, I think, with a lot of the younger couples today with both having very effective careers going though different ways because you're available on, on the, not available on the week weekend and she is. We found that out when we started hiring people from the corporate world on our staff. For about the first six months it was great and then they started having problems because the wife said, wait a minute, we don't have any weekends free. Because before their husband, even though he worked 70 hours in the corporate world, at least they knew every weekend they had freedom. And so they had a hard time of making that adjustment with almost the Sabbath and, and the work-life right. balance. So I pray for these young guys trying to do that because I don't know the formula for success. I know the formula for failure. Try to please everybody. And so you, you've got to be able just to please the Lord and know how to turn that off. I got a little uh, a little sign in a in a Christian bookstore one time that, that said, always kiss me goodnight. I bought that and I hung it up in our bedroom and I <laughs> it carried worked. it. It worked. <laughs> I've carried it from place to place, you know, as for we you. Moved. but uh, always kiss me goodnight. We've, and we've got kind of a fun conscience about that. And sometimes that last kiss is, is a peck and sometimes it's not. And one of the things I love about the se this season of life, and I hesitate to mention it because if there are younger pastors listening, they're going to be a little a little envious. And I don't know whether you guys are experiencing this. Scott, you're not. You're still in the harness. Bob and, <laughs> Bob and Don, you know, we have our mornings pretty fluid. I love that. I love having the morning. It used to be I'd get up, shower, shave, suit, 
tie going to the office at the college at the church that that changed but now i get up i can stay in my pajamas until nine o'clock if i want to and we have we the conversations that we're having in this season of life and the joy of a marriage and what are called the golden years man it's worth hanging on to experience it it's just uh, it's never never better I would say amen to that, but every marriage is different and people are different. We've been married 58 years, and I say one of the greatest things about being married that long is you know there's somebody you're going to go home to at the end of the day to whom you're the most important person in the world. I know a lot of people, but there's only one person in the whole world to whom I'm the most important. My wife and I have no conversation in the morning. She likes to sleep in till 10, 10.30. And uh, if I were to wake her up and talk with her, we would have been divorced a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, at nighttime, she's, she's ready to be engaged then. But I, I think part of a successful marriage, but this work-life, work-family balance, is knowing the makeup of your wife and expecting of her what is reasonable. My wife's personality is that she is accuracy, is truth is really, really important to her. And that's what's going to come out first. I wrote a blog, a preliminary blog several weeks ago, and it didn't, it needed edited. I knew it needed edited, but I, my printer didn't work. So I printed it off of Judy's printer and she she made a mistake. She read it. She came downstairs and said, you got some, some mistakes in here. I said, I know, but I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> she said, you need to, because you say that Kim and Tommy drove and they flew to Nashville. I said, I know, I don't want to talk. She said, this is where we get fake news. <laughs> <laughs> now, Knowing her personality, knowing that that's what's important to her, I'm able to balance and, and not blow my stack because that same detail really helps us at times when we're planning a vacation or details need to be taken care of. Judy's going to take care of those details. I have to button my lips. <laughs> Accuracy is important. Where, what's that have to do with our subject? No, I don't know, no. but I just thought I'd talk about it. No, it is it is important. You're right. Every marriage is, is is different, and yeah, you need to learn. Every every pastor, if they want to stay married and stay happy, needs to learn how to navigate those. Whether it's times of day or whatever it is, as I tell people, like Don saying nine o'clock at night. Yeah, I, I call them unforced rhythms. Well, I've told my congregation this, so she she runs this show. She can edit this out if she wants. But I tell people at church, you got to understand that there is and. Megan likes to sleep in as well because she works till midnight, 1 a.m. typically. But I tell people there is pre-coffee Megan and there's post-coffee Megan. Post-coffee Megan is upbeat, attentive, hardworking, fun, so forth. Pre-coffee Megan, you want to watch. <laughs> so when she comes downstairs at 9 o'clock, I'm just like, there's the bathroom. I'll get the coffee. You just you just go. She had uh, the, she got so mad at me because my spiritual gift is snarkiness anyway. And so she got mad at me because she's walking down the stairs at 9 o'clock. And I said, hey, honey, Betty White died at 99. And she said, of what? And me being a smart aleck, I go, what's your next question going to be? The detectives have any leads? I said she was 99. <laughs> but she hadn't had coffee yet. But she gave me the look. And so I learned to shut up about that stuff. This podcast has turned into therapy sessions. <laughs> <Yes, it has. laughs> anyway, well, folks, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back soon with another one. Always great to be joined by Bob Russell, Don Will, Scott Rawlings, Ken Eidelman. I'm Matt Rawlings, your host. Remember, if you want wisdom, you go to those who have been there done that thanks for listening this has been the senior pastor podcast 
a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.